everyone. We'll move into our time of worship in reading of God's word. Today's scripture passage is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7. We're going to be reading just verses 37 through 39. This can be found on page 1627, 1627 of the Pew Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you, or you need a friend who needs a Bible, you can also take the Pew Bible with you. We believe the Word of God is extremely powerful and critical for our formation. So let's read God's Word again, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, starting from verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's the word of the Lord written for his people. Thank you, Femi. Good morning. It's good to be back with you. Um, I have a very cool announcement to make this morning. High Point Church's mortgage is paid off. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to... Uh, take more time to celebrate that at Prayer, Praise, and Pie. I always have trouble with that um, in November. But not just that the mortgage is paid off. We're gonna celebrate what God has done. Um, real brief history, Monona Oaks was planted and started, I think, 1956. A few years later, they said, you know, there's not an evangelical church on the west end of Madison. So they planted Middleton Baptist. And I believe it was, um, let me get my dates wrong so I won't go there. Uh, sometime later, they had a bigger vision. And they actually walked on the opening day, where their elders before that walked over here to this property. They were over on University Avenue and circled this place and prayed over this ground that there would be a thriving church here for decades to come. Then some families mortgaged their homes to begin the project. That's how much they believed that God was in this and wanted to bless themselves, their children, and us in decades to come, as we don't know what God's gonna do next. But just an amazing story of God's faithfulness. And so we're gonna talk about some of those stories. And if you have stories that are just proving God's faithfulness through High Point Church, let some of us know so we can uh, share those at prayer praise and pie in November. Great news though, huh? I also want to take a quick minute to thank you. A few weeks ago we asked, I guess a month and a half ago, two months, we asked you to choose a service and we shifted the times up a little bit earlier. And we did that. I know Nick said to avoid a four million, it's closer to about a $10 million project if we needed to enlarge the support space to the size of the sanctuary. Good news is, is that the church responded and uh, services have evened out. Children's space has evened out. Nursery space has evened out. And now we have room for new families, both first and second service. So thank you so much. Just a, a little bit by everybody helped us uh, be able to not sink money back into a mortgage for this place, 
to figure out how God would want to use the resources of this church, expanding the kingdom of God. So thank you. I just came off sabbatical and everybody's asking me, what did you learn? I didn't know how I was gonna answer that question until just a few weeks ago. I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't have this great answer. And then when the answer came, I was really embarrassed. What I learned on sabbatical was I had lost my passion for Jesus. Instead, I had shifted to the church. I love the church. I love you. I love the churches around this town, across this nation, around the world that I've had pleasure of visiting. I love the work of the ministry. But I let it replace Jesus. Nick and I were meeting with a couple pastors on Wednesday morning and, or Thursday morning. And we were, we were talking about that. We're kind of a heady church. We're an intellectual group. We're a bunch that likes to think, likes to know. And in the parking lot afterwards, I said, Nick, that's all good. We're supposed to study to show ourselves approved, but gosh, do we love Jesus? Because I got to a place where I know him. I know who he is. But do I love him? Do I love everything that he's done? And that's a hard thing to say for a kid who grew up in Pentecost and, and uh, is probably known around here to be the more devotional one and, and until Devin got here, he's Mr. Devotion. But... Uh, So it's been a pleasure to start rekindling and falling in love with Jesus again. Now that's even language that we probably but it's good language. And it's out of that context I want us to look at this passage. And we've left Jesus at the Festival of Booths for too long now. He's probably getting tired of standing there. In John 5 through 7, there's a trial going on. It's not a legal trial, but it's a cultural trial. People are trying to figure out who this Jesus is. And he's not helping them, honestly. He's uh, healing people. He's creating copious amounts of food. He's kind of speaking against and jabbing the religious society. And he's kind of ticking people off. See, when, when we look at Jesus without the Spirit in us, when we look at him first from the flesh, he doesn't make sense. People are asking him all kinds of questions, but they're the wrong questions, and he's answering the right questions from his context, and they're listening from their context, and it's like two ships passing in the night. That happens to us in this community. Nothing has changed because human nature is human nature. And until it's redeemed, the gospel doesn't make sense. But Jesus goes a little bit further, and 
he really just kind of probably enjoyed it, I think. Um, who are you? John 6:35. I'm the bread of life. Serious, you know? Where'd you go to school? Now, everybody knew that the rabbis were highly schooled because the rabbis made sure they knew it. <laughs> Heaven. Where are you from? Heaven. Where are you going? Back to my father in heaven. What, what would they do on State Street if those were the answers given? Just shake their head. And then he makes this statement. Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There's a creepy sight. But by this, he meant the Spirit. Now, the Spirit hadn't been given, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with this language, um, the Spirit of God, and in the Old Testament, you see the capital word, Lord, they kind of made appearances. They came to the burning bush, they came to this, they came to that, and they would leave. Then Jesus came into the world, and he's present. We can see him, he's, he's human. We have historical fact about him. But then he leaves, and that's what it means when it says he was glorified. He, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and that was him being glorified back into his place with the Father. And then, a little bit later, he sends his disciples in, in the 120 to the upper room, and. And he says, wait, you'll, you'll know why you're waiting when it happens. And Acts 2 records Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes. We look at that, and it makes chronological sense. They lived in the middle of it, and it made no sense. So on the day, the last day of, of uh, Festival of Booze, as Nick shared last week, there's the, the water ceremony, and they've gone down and gotten living water, and they're bringing it up, symbolizing something that happened hundreds of years ago, where God provided living water out of the rock, and they're all rejoicing because Israel was saved, and on that same day, Jesus takes that prophetic event that they're celebrating, takes it and speaks prophetically again, fulfilling that one, but prophesying to another one, and I'm sure the crowd's like, here we go again. What's he talking about? These rivers of living water, and why would you believe in him? And so instead of cowing to religious society structure, he throws something new in their face that excludes the priest, excludes the law, says it's gonna be greater than you've ever experienced, and he ties the Holy Spirit to himself, which lets us know that they both come from the Father, and are for the good of those who believe. Now, that's a lot to stomach, and, and here's the deal. The truth stands alone, but the crowd is always going to want Jesus to conform to them, to their understanding, and that's the same for you today. Your coworkers, your neighbors, everybody wants you to conform 
this truth that honestly doesn't make sense to the flesh until the flesh is in trouble. And they want Jesus to conform, and we're seeing that happen. We're seeing it happen in churches. We're seeing it happen in just local events and comments. And it's scary. But the truth is, is that the truth will be the truth. The truth will stand. And light will always penetrate darkness. Jesus will win. He'll be proclaimed king. But until then, we have to live in this. Now, part of this in the next few minutes, I want to talk on two sides of this topic. One is, why is it difficult for us to engage this spirit as Christians who live in Madison in 2023? And then, what was Jesus talking about? Why is it important for us today? Why is that prophetic word important for us to engage, embrace, and learn to live in? I think that we look at those people and we understand their confusion because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. Pentecost hadn't happened. But over history, if you want a great book, it's Nick's favorite book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. It goes through and chronicles the history of Christianity and, and the applications that came out of that. And you see the divide of those who, who sought the Holy Spirit primarily and those who sought the Word of God primarily. And it worked into two camps. Now, I grew up in the camp where um, we sought the Holy Spirit. We knew God was real, we knew Jesus was real, but everything was about the Spirit. Now the problem with that is we were a little shy, a little shallow on the Word. And I got away from, from that and um, was around some other people that believed a little bit differently, not really differently, but with a different emphasis. And then uh, when I met Nick and came here, this was really the first church where there was a significant shift. Now I'm fine on either side of the road, as I grew up knowing God's word is real, knowing that it all plays together, knowing that spirit and truth have to be tied together to keep the roof on straight. And, and Jesus talked about spirit and truth, so there's, there's not a problem there. But I told Nick, I told Adam, over the last eight years, I've slowly shifted and when I shifted, my language shifted because I grew up in Jesus loves you land. I grew up in Jesus empowers you through the Holy Spirit. I grew up in Jesus talking to us. I grew up in all these things. I was the spirit leading, and now it's the providence of God. They mean the same thing, but they have a different effect. And A number of people have, anytime I've done a class on the Holy Spirit or had groups of people at our house come up for dinner, six, eight of you, help, we'll have dinner and then talk about the Spirit, they're hungry. And I'm like, why? So earlier this week, I wasn't up to preach this week. Um, Devin was, but he's been ill. And by Wednesday, he's like, I don't know how it's going to be, so will you take it? 
And this was the beginning of the passage he was going to take, but I couldn't get past these two verses. So I gladly stepped up, and I was talking to Nick on Friday or Thursday. He is now probably on the back of a horse heading into high country in northeast Idaho on a hunting trip. And uh, I said, this is where I'm going. You okay with that? And he goes, man, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. Go for it. And because the bottom line is that there was an expectation when Jesus said rivers of living water are going to flow out of them. There was an expectation of life that is beyond our ability to, to think or to even ask for that just naturally is meant to be a part of a Christian's life. There's a phrase that I love, naturally supernatural. That defines you. Because it's not meant to be, thus saith the Lord. It's meant to be a conversation that says, hey, I woke up last night thinking about you, so I prayed. Are you okay? No, man, you wouldn't believe what we're going through. That was the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart for their benefit. Now, most of the time when that happens, just pray about it. Don't run to them. Just pray about it. But sometimes we need to go talk to them more um, jokingly because Kent and I both believe in all this. Kent Rahauser, one of my good friends, I called him up the other day and I said, yeah, I was praying and the word old just kept coming to mind. <laughs> then I realized it was your birthday. <laughs> we had a good laugh. But sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're praying with somebody and you're like, you know, I just get this word or this image. Does this mean anything to you? And they're like, wow, how did you know to say that? And you're like, I didn't. I know nothing of what's going on. And they're like, wow. And you realize God just used you. And it's such a great feeling to know that we're just naturally, supernaturally charged because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so within us, we have the Spirit of God. We're going to come about how that happens in just a minute. But why do we struggle? Well, in Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, says they, and that they is referring to those who have not yet received Christ as Savior, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Before Christ, Jesus didn't make sense. Jesus standing at the festival of the booth just didn't make sense. His answers were wrong in their minds because they had no context because they lived in this sinful nature. We, this side of the cross, are like, yeah, he is who he said he is. Yeah, the Holy Spirit came. We, we get it. But then we kind of leave it there sometimes. And here's the truth. Every conflict that was in the heart of the crowd in John 7 still is in the heart of every man that doesn't know Christ. And the truth is that belief and acceptance of Christ and the given presence of the Holy Spirit answers every one of those concerns and questions. So it behooves us to press in and understand that because our world is getting crazier and truth is getting diluted and they need the church to stand up and be strong. John 1 starts out, he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world didn't recognize. He came to that which was his own, 
but they didn't receive him. See, this isn't Madison gone crazy. This isn't Western culture. This is God versus evil. This is the cosmic clash of mankind. And we're a part of that because we're the light of the world. We're the ones called to go make disciples. We're the ones called to be different. We're the ones called to love Jesus to such degree that his spirit radiates out us as if it were a river flowing out of the temple, which we are now the side of the cross if we follow Christ. See, Jesus is talking out of Ezekiel 47, 1 through 11. The Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus had. This isn't new stuff. And in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel's got this vision. And he sees the temple. And there's this little creek running out. But as he watches it, the creek becomes a stream. The stream becomes a river. And the river becomes all-encompassing. But along that river, life is happening. And when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit resides within us. It's not a new deal, it's just the way it's set up to be. Because we can't be divine, we can't be holy, we can't be all the things God says we are without his presence bearing witness to the Father and us being in Christ in front of the Father. If you were to take a walk in the rain, jump in a pool, take a shower, you're gonna get wet. It's just a natural consequence of stepping into water. It's no different when the Holy Spirit empowers us and dwells us when we come to faith. It's part of the deal. In fact, all of you have experienced one of the greatest things that that, uh, the Holy Spirit has ever done, your salvation. Jesus paid the price, Jesus was the sacrifice, but the Holy Spirit drew you to him. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sins, but not in a judgmental, shame on you way, in a way that opened up, as Nick talked last week. It wasn't just a spotlight on you, it was a searchlight looking out and finding you, not to expose you, but to forgive you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful. We lived in Minneapolis, for a few years, and uh, I was in a church much like this, Wooddale, and they asked me to um, do a series on the Holy Spirit, and at the time I was co-teaching one of the larger Sunday school classrooms for adults they had, there's about 300 adults in it, and when I was in town, I taught, and they asked me to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And most of the class was like this. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fun. And, and I said, okay, my opening statements were, have you ever been in worship and you just wanted to raise your hands or you just wanted to close your eyes or maybe a tear happened and they're like, yeah. I said, have you ever just spontaneous, wanted just to worship God in, in the middle of songs? Or have you ever thought about somebody when they weren't on your radar? And they're like, yeah. Have you ever prayed for somebody and they said, wow, thanks for praying that, how did you know? Yeah. I said, all of those 
demonstrate that you're full of God's spirit because that's how you knew. And they're like, oh, you tricked us. And I'm like, no, I didn't trick you. That's just the way it works. And all this sounds wonderful, but why is it hard? If the Holy Spirit is the ongoing source of divine life that continually brings transformation to the chaos that we are born into and live in, why do we sometimes resist? Or why do we look at those people across the aisle, those Pentecostals, you can't trust them, those charismatics, they're crazy. Why is that thought of Christianity booming across the world, except in Western culture? because we're too smart for it, we think. And I think there's some reasons. See, the intent of God is that one comes to expect this supernatural, divine presence of God will actually do supernatural things in and through us. That's why the river got bigger. Doesn't make a lot of sense when you're first a Christian, but then you learn to trust Jesus and you learn to love Jesus and you learn to be about his stuff and and the Spirit's growing in you and the expression of the Spirit's growing in you. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And pretty soon you find out this thought of the Holy Spirit is now this river of the Holy Spirit engaging everything around you and engaging you. And it's, it's so important, it's so critical that we understand that. So what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It means just to exercise who you are as a Christian. Because who you are as a Christian includes being full of the Spirit. Now we're no near, we're near 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 or Romans or Peter or Ephesians. We're just talking about what it means to be a believer. But I think there's some things that get in our way. Then we're gonna look and see what Jesus actually said about the Holy Spirit. All of us, or the majority of us, are gonna go into the world tomorrow, school, work, and we live in a noisy world. In fact, when you get home, some of you are gonna turn on sports, and you're going to Give your attention to that, to something that honestly, excuse me, isn't going to change your life. It's not going to affect your life. But we give ourselves to it. I was thumbing through just wanting to watch TV for a little bit last Sunday afternoon, and it came across, I think it was an Eagles game. And there's this dude that is painted green and blue. He's got weird costume on probably an attorney or somebody down in posh office the next day. But for this day, he's an Eagles fan, and he's going for it. And I'm just like, really? And I had the thought, what if the church channeled that much energy into rooting for Jesus? What kind of force would we be I actually did watch a little bit of the game. There were a few good plays, and then I went on to what I was doing. But we live in noise, and we hear the noise. And and that's difficult because it's all around us. 
We don't have to choose not to be Christian. It just comes at us. And we wonder, what's this really all about? Because if we get bombarded by those truths all the, or those facts all the time, media, noise, music, noise, social media, noise. Now, there's good in all of those. We succumb to this where we begin to question. Estel came across this uh, saying this week, the world says follow your heart, Jesus says follow me. World says be true to yourself, Jesus says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. The world says believe in yourself, Jesus says believe in me. Live your own truth, I am the truth. As long as you're happy, what will it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? But we would, we've probably said some of those things, and they're lies. Because it's so easy to be in the world. It's so easy to get lost in the noise. We're afraid to relinquish control. Any control freaks in here? We even have a name for it. And now there's a bunch of liars in here. We like to think we're in control. And if I relinquish my life to Jesus, he's in control. Now we like to say he is, and then we realize we've tried everything else, we might as well pray. Is he really in control? We walk away from conversations at the office, man, I wish I would have said this. Or in exchange with a neighbor, or a sports team member, and we back down. Spiritual warfare. One of the things that Satan loves to do, and I hate to think that he had a part in me falling in love with the church instead of Jesus, but he loves to depersonalize Christ. So we get involved in the busy work instead of him. I went back and looked at my schedule. It's full. But I couldn't find his name on any appointment. None. And that hurt my heart. All the appointments were about his stuff They weren't about him. Now, I remember to pray. I remember to do those things. But not with the intentionality that I give myself to my work, that I give myself gladly to you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour somebody. Warfare is real. It's meant to keep Christians off balance and non-Christians away from Christ. It doesn't take much. It's just busyness. It's just doubt. It's just little stuff. But it's enough stuff. The other thing the devil wants us to do is think that we can't be divine, 
or can't think from a divine perspective. So Paul point, or pens Romans 12.2 about thinking and Philippians 4.8 and Colossians 3.2 and, and so many other places about the mind and the heart and the soul. And the last one I think is a deterrent to us is, is we struggle to think of ourselves as holy. First Peter 1.6, it says, you are holy, God says, because I am holy. See, to be a Christian means to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we're in the Father's realm. And what's in the Father's realm is holy. You would cringe if I said, you're a saint. And your wife would look at you and go, no, you ain't. <laughs> but you are. because you're full of the Spirit of God. And you're meant to live in such a way that we partner with the Spirit and the river flows. And people look at our lives eventually and they're like, wow, that person has been with Jesus. See, Jesus in John 17 says the Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He lifts up Jesus. That's why it hurts so much when I realized it had just been about his work, because I wasn't necessarily lifting up Jesus, and he's the source of everything. Jesus in John 14, in fact, I had a group come up to the house, and they were anticipating, I think, we were going to have a conversation about the gifts of the Spirit, because they wanted to learn about the Holy Spirit, and we always go to the extremes. And I said, open your Bibles to John 14, and they're like, aren't we going to 1 Corinthians 12? I said, no, we'll get there in three or four weeks. We need to start with what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said he would, would demonstrate to us who he is, who Jesus is. He would keep Jesus in front of us. He would guide us into truth. He expands on into John 16, and, and he has this wonderful litany of the things that will happen that we need daily as we live in a world full of untruth. And Jesus desires us to be so naturally, supernaturally full of the Spirit of God that what we do is normal for us. But Paul in Ephesians says, continually be filled with the Spirit. Continually engage the Holy Spirit. Continually be mindful of the Holy Spirit. Continually seek out what God is doing. That's through the Holy Spirit. There's a, a beautiful, confusing passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. And it's a wonderful passage because it helps us understand how this happens and just is naturally supernatural. It says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things from God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, most people bomb through that, and they get to 16, and they're like, we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, right. If he could see my mind, you would never pin that. But there's a simple logic that goes down through that. It's logical, and we would all agree that the Spirit of God would know the mind of God. We would all agree that the Spirit of man would know the heart and the mind of man. Now, that man becomes a believer and chooses to believe. Even in the midst of uncertainty in knowledge, he chooses to believe. And now the Holy Spirit knows the mind of that believer. And the spirit of man accepts that conversation between the spirit of God and the spirit of man. Therefore, you have at least access to the mind of Christ. It's just simple logic. And we're like, no, I can't be. No, it is, it can be, and it is. And that's why Jesus said, the last day of the food, at the Festival of Booths, believe in me, and you'll have a river of living water flowing out of you. Not because we generate anything in and of ourselves, but because when we believe, there's this union of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus that resides within us and we learn to live the life of a Christian. I've heard people, especially people that have grown up on the intellectual side of faith, say Christianity is really hard or it doesn't work for me. Probably not, and it probably is hard because unless we acknowledge the spirit within us, we can't do this thing called Christianity. Oh, we can be saved, but living it out, that's a different issue. Because see, I in my flesh don't love you. You're a nuisance. You're in the way. If you're not part of the solution, get out of the way, please. That's Mike without Jesus. Estel said to me one day, without Jesus, you would scare me. I love you too. <laughs> but with Jesus, those hard things are tempered, and I love the grace. That's not the flesh, that's the spirit. That's the spirit transforming Mike, not changing Mike, but changing me into the best version that God has for me, full of himself. 
Galatians 5, 22, 24 gets to be seen in me. Love, joy, fruit, all the gifts that we like to think we could have someday, they're ours. As we engage and give ourselves not to the things of the world, why does one of the top themes in Nick's preaching, worldliness? Why does he say, crucify it? Because Jesus said crucify it and he understood the meaning of that word. Nail it, get rid of it. Because it will stop the work of the Spirit within you. And the work of the Spirit is to lift up the name of Jesus because he's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one who loves you. I was talking with a group of published apologists at a conference. And I asked one of them, probably the, the best known, I said, what was the final thing you've learned to bring you to Jesus? And he goes, it wasn't anything I learned. He said, I had all the knowledge. I had shifted from the guy's crazy to he must be God. But I couldn't get away from one thing. That guy loved me. See, it's not knowledge that brings us to Jesus. It's Jesus. Through the work of the Spirit that woos us, loves us, draws us, heals our hearts, transforms us into the image of God internally, and then grows us up to understand the joy and the freedom of Christian living. The power that we have as Christians doesn't come from our knowledge. It comes from Jesus, and he said, believe in me, and there'll be a river of living water flowing out of you that you cannot contain, and it will change your life, and it will propel the kingdom of God forward, and it will save men. And Jesus had the audacity to say, the Holy Spirit in you, you'll do greater things than me. And he wasn't referring to the cross. He was just referring to the 5,000 and healing and, and the things that are ours if we risk going there. But it all comes back to loving Jesus. Worship team, will you come up? So my task over these next few months is to fall back in love with Jesus. I love High Point Church. And I told Nick Thursday, we've got to fall back in love with Jesus. And I don't say that as a condemnation. I say that as just the truth You okay? Because <laughs> if, as much as we know, and as well resourced as we are, if Christ was vibrant 
within us. We are an unstoppable force in a city that's going to hell. And what a better place to be. Amen? And the cool thing is, you already have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. And it's present in the person of the Holy Spirit as Jesus prophesied it would be. Let's get wet. Let's flow in in the river. Let's engage. Let's risk. Let's love each other like we've never loved each other. Let's risk sharing the faith because it's true. God is good and he has blessed us so much. But not for our joy, but for the good of the kingdom. Let's stand.